message part we will have kids world so kids we're looking forward to that uh, I'm sure the Gleason's got good stuff prepared for you so yeehaw for kids world uh, we're gonna have a wonderful morning we've got music we've got the word we've got Jesus we don't need a whole lot more so that being said I'm going to start us off with a word of prayer and uh, we will get rolling father thank you for this beautiful day thank you for this holy season we find ourselves in and all that it entails. We thank you for your son, for his life, for his death, for his resurrection, for his lordship, for his goodness and mercy and grace. I just pray now, Father, you come and abide in this place. You would prepare us in our spirits, in our minds, and in our hearts to receive your word. That we would expect to meet you here this morning, Father, and we would expect to hear from you individually and as a community. May we may be changed, transformed, made new by that interaction. Come now, Father, accept our praise, accept our worship, for you are the one who is wholly worthy of all glory and honor. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll invite you to stand with us as we sing together. Lift your voices to the Lord.
take some some moments of silent prayer.
to move in, intervene in, instruct about, whatever that might be. I always give at least one emphasis for you to think about and continue to pray for those within our body who are sick and dealing with with health issues. you this morning to, to pray for your church, this church. You know, of course, we've talked over the last several weeks just that we're trying to find our footing again after the crazy time that we've been through. And the Lord has been so gracious to us. And uh, I want to thank again the folks who have volunteered to help our children's ministry on Sunday. Bless you for doing that. Right before Tyler and Carrie came to be with us, uh, we were we were good. The church, in many ways, is very healthy and lots of good things happening. But um, there's a limitation that exists that we identified after uh, several years of, of Jason and I being in the positions that we are, and with me kind of serving those dual roles as worship pastor and lead pastor, which I have a great time. Tyler was here, I was still part of the worship team. He just was the front, up front guy, right? But there's a limitation to how much ministry I can be involved in from a pastoral side when I also do this side. And so we prayed then that God would bring us someone and that he would make the, the financial resources available to us for someone to fill this position right here. And so that's what I'm going to ask you to pray towards, not necessarily this position, but just towards our future for God to begin to show us and to uh, reveal the pathway forward for us to how uh, we can uh, get back into a season of growing. And I under I put under that idea, the foundation under that idea, is we've never been a church that was seeking to be a, a big church. We just want to be a church that's an effective church. And uh, that just requires larger vision than where we sit right now. And I don't know exactly what that looks like. I don't have anybody in mind. Nobody's sitting on the horizon. We don't have the money to do anything about it right now anyway, so that kind of takes care of itself. But that's where we were right before we called Tyler and Carrie to come here and be with us. And all of those same things were true. And yet somehow God worked in the midst of that vision. So ultimately what I'm going to ask you to pray for this morning is just, again, pray for Christ Community Church and for God's vision for us that we would we would know Him, know His heart, and be able to lead well and effectively to uh, to continue to have a place here where uh, people feel confident in coming to hear the word of the Lord and to be encouraged, and that we truly do see lives changed because they encounter the presence of Christ through. Church service, but our church as 
as it lives its life in the community. And then uh, I'll say to the folks that are joining us online, as we continue to encourage you, uh, we love to provide that service for you. Uh, I mentioned in the newsletter that went out this week that I, I can't perfectly explain it, but there is supernatural presence in gathering together with other believers to lift your voice to the Lord and hear the breaking of the word. Um, it, there just is. And um, if you're missing out on that all the time, you're shortchanging your own life in Christ. Uh, not only for you, but you're also withholding from us the, the wonder of your presence with us as well. And, uh, so I just encourage you, make the time your schedule, look at your uh, priorities, and make the time to be part of the body here present in just this one short, brief hour each week. Do what you can to be here with us, and uh, we will do what we can to bring you authentic worship and real teachings right from the Word of God that hopefully will bring encouragement to your life. All right, so I'm going to give you just a couple of moments here, uh, maybe two or three minutes, just for you to pray silently, and then we'll come back and sing one more song together before we open up the Bible this morning. According to your abundant mercy, God, I pray. 
towards the end of our series on the resurrection story. Um, we've been through several different kinds of representations of stone and rock in Scripture, and we find ourselves today uh, dealing with another one of those, but we also are coinciding with, and I think appropriately so, with what's called Palm Sunday, the Sunday before resurrection, the Sunday before the crucifixion of Christ. Detailed in what are called the Synoptic Gospels, um, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, which uh, have so many things that overlap one another in their telling. And we'll find this story in all three, with some variance in detail, some adding detail here, some adding detail there. But it is the entrance of Christ into Jerusalem on back of a, a donkey, uh, one translation, not one translation, some translations uh, say a colt, a young foal. Uh, in any case, it was not a majestic beast of transit. It was a small, unassuming mode of transportation that no one would guess would be the carriage for a king. And yet that is who it carries as the king of kings. And so let me read this for you. And this is out of Luke chapter 19. Jesus is referring to when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away, those who were, so those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has needed it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down to the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice, for all the mighty works that they had seen, 
saying, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the opportunity to be here together to worship, lift our voices, gather in conversation give the greeting of Christian fellowship to one another here in this place. We thank you for the gift of your word to speak to us this morning. And I pray truly that what is spoken here this morning will be your words and not mine. Lord, it will speak uh, wisdom, encouragement, direction, and correction to our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Jerry, can you clean your house next episode? So I, I wanted to pick this passage for, for a couple of reasons to begin the message this morning, because it reminds us of that, that this is Palm Sunday, the entrance of Christ uh, into uh, Jerusalem uh, for Holy Week. And then there's a couple of things in here that are pretty important. One is which, as Jesus entered, it tells us that his disciples, which now number many, where this isn't just talking about the 12 disciples, right? It says the multitude of his disciples, the whole multitude of his disciples, and we know that that word multiple, right, means many. So there's a whole bunch of people who are the disciples of Jesus Christ now that have been following him around the countryside. It says here they've witnessed the incredible miracles that he has performed, and they now see him entering into the city on the back of this colt, and they begin to praise and celebrate and worship him, and we know that this has impact and importance because as they do, the religious leaders of the day rebuke Jesus. See, there's so many times in Scripture when, when people wonder or they question not the veracity of the Bible. You have, you have to first deal with the issue of whether someone believes the Bible is true, but let's, let's just say that we're not talking about that issue. But what does the Bible say about Jesus Christ? There should be no mystery, there should be no argument really with the fact that the Bible in so many places teaches that Jesus is God. He's not just a prophet, he's not only a good man, he's not a type of God, he's not a sub-God, he's not a part of God, he is God. And this is another place where this is demonstrated. Because we know from, from the beginning particularly when God gives the Ten Commandments, thou shalt have no other gods before me, which means there is no one worthy of worship other than God. He alone is due worship. And what's happening here, we might read this if we gloss over it, we go, oh, the people are just excited about Jesus, they're coming out the great things that he has done. But the Pharisees understood exactly what was happening. The Pharisees were the religious leaders. And so when this happens, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. King, there's a clue. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said, Teacher, rebuke your disciples because they were giving worship to Jesus. And the Pharisees understood that the only one worthy of worship is God himself. And so they challenged Jesus. Tell your disciples not to, to worship you because they're not 
you shouldn't be here, church. And it's another one of those challenges where they were looking for Jesus to, to, to argue with them or engage with them in a way that would satisfy them. But instead he says, I tell you, if these disciples were silent, even the stones on the ground would cry out to you. Now there's importance in that statement. Because the only one, even then, if we think of, of humanity being different in creation than a stone on the ground, but we understand that the stone is also created, right? Created by the same entity, the same force created that stone that created humanity. And he says, what he's saying is my creation is made to worship me. And if those who have a will those who have a choice whether to worship me will, would withhold that, or if they were suppressed, the fact that those rocks exist and I made them is still a form of worship. Their very existence cries out when I am finished Now that sets the stage for who Jesus is in today's message. And we're talking today, uh, Jason mentioned it last week, we talked about stumbling stones, the cornerstones, and today we're talking about the cornerstone. The cornerstone, it's not something that is particularly common in our modern architectural culture, although you will still find it. Uh, it's more common in the modern world if you were to go someplace like Christopher goes to school in Ellensburg, Washington, a podunk cow town in eastern Washington. If it weren't for the university there, there would probably be about 5,000 people maybe that live there. Uh, but because the university is there, there's only 5,000 people that live there. Most of them are students. And uh, it has that, that kind of quintessential, what you would think of as the old American small town feel to it. And you go to downtown in particular, the oldest part of the, the city, and it feels very American. Facades of the buildings are brick. Some of them are animal mate. And then you have the awnings sticking out, the roads are narrow, and all the parking is, you know, angle parking into like when we used to drive the horses with the horse rail outside and that kind of thing. And now there's cars that tie up outside. And you know, you drive down there and it's, and it's quaint and it's cool and it's beautiful. But if you look, you'll notice, especially on some of the more prominent buildings in town, there will be on one corner Often it looks different than all of the other stonework of the building. Often as well with inscription on it with maybe a name or a date or a saying or something like that. And then uh, it just has this place of prominence on one corner of that building. I didn't go driving around in Anchorage this past week, but probably there are some buildings here in town that have some cornerstones on them as well. They became less important in modern building when uh, we really started to see things like concrete slab foundations and things like that, but especially in ancient times, the cornerstone was really important. It had three distinct characteristics that distinguished it from the other stones that were used in the construction of buildings. Now, how does this relate to Jesus Christ? First, let's go to Psalms chapter 118. 
which I said our reading was from earlier, that was not true. That was a different passage. We have not mentioned. 51, thank you. Um, I knew Psalm 118 was in this story somewhere today. Psalm 118, chapter 22 through 24. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Now, this passage becomes very important in Jesus' time, and I'll get to that here in just a moment. But I do want to say that uh, some will say that this uh, was David prophesying about the Messiah. That's a stretch. Uh, David wasn't really known as a prophet. That wasn't his, his gifting. He wasn't one of the prophets of Israel. He was a king of Israel. But those were kind of distinct roles. And, and in this time, it's not necessarily talking specifically about Jesus the person, God in the flesh. But it is talking about the principles and law and, and teachings of God. That those, those ideas, the way that God wanted his people to live, the way that he instructed humanity to live, that those things have, have been commonly rejected. And that means that God himself is being rejected. And yet God is the cornerstone of everything that the people are seeking. And so that's why it says uh, it's been rejected, and yet God is working. He's doing marvelous things right before our eyes. So understand who the cornerstone of everything is. Now that's going to relate to those three distinct purposes of a cornerstone that I mentioned here in just a moment. But let's see how that ties into Jesus' time. All right, so. Of himself, Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 21, 42 through 44. Jesus said to them, have you never read the scriptures? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And the one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush them. Now here Jesus makes the comparison of himself to that cornerstone. He's, he's connecting those two ideas through scripture. And uh, he's speaking to really the same group of people. When David said these words back in Psalm. He was speaking to the people who were supposed to be the people of God, who were wandering and rejecting and being disobedient to the things of God. And he was trying to, to encourage them to remember who their cornerstone was, for them was Jehovah. And here we find Jesus, in his time, his ministry, revealed as the Messiah and the descendants of those very same people, the Jewish people, especially the Jewish religious leaders, are rejecting who Jesus is doing the same thing as their ancestors. They're seeing the marvelous works of God. Remember Psalm 118 said, we see all of these marvelous works that God has done. Here's Jesus. Think of all of the things that Jesus has done that could only be wrought by the power of God. The healings, raising people from the dead, the, the way that he taught, the scripture that says that when he was even young, he was in the temple and teaching in such a way 
the religious leaders' minds were blown. How can this how can this young man, even this young boy, know these truths of God? And so Jesus is pointing to the same thing when he's talking about himself now. He says, All of these marvelous works that have been done before you, you continue to reject this stone, this this permanent foundation. And what's going to happen is instead of that stone being cast aside, that, that stone is actually going to become the cornerstone of everything that matters. And he says to them, verse 43, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing its fruits. And he was telling his, his literally his cousins, his Jewish cousins and family and friends and culture, that if you continue to reject the Messiah, it won't be as if the Messiah doesn't exist. The kingdom of God will still go to all of the world. And the kingdom of God and Jesus himself will be available to everyone who will be willing to follow and become those who produce the fruit of the Spirit of God within their lives. And then he says these words, the one who falls on this stone will be broken into pieces. And when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. We'll come back to those words right at the very end of the message this morning. One last passage of scripture I want to share with you. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now he's referring to an event that's just happened where someone who was deathly ill was restored through the ministry of the disciples there through the power of God. So he says, all, it said, the Bible says the people were amazed that this guy was, was standing there. And Jesus says, or uh, Peter, this is Peter talking, says, you're amazed by that? Well, listen, this is done by the power of Christ, who you crucified, yet God raised him from the dead. That same power has made this person well. And then he says this, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become now the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else. For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So if you think about that, that line, that arc, all the way from Psalm 51, Psalm 102, at the cornerstone, the principles and teachings of God, presence of God with the people of Israel in the early days, which they continued to at times reject. And yet, the writer in Psalm says, that very stone that you reject will become the cornerstone. Rejoice in the Lord. Be glad, because he's good, and he does marvelous works. And then Jesus comes along. He reveals himself as God in the flesh. He performs miracles. He changes lives. He teaches the word of God. He calls people to follow him. He forgives sins even, only reserved for the action of God. And he says of himself, 
The stone that you rejected will become the cornerstone. And then here Peter, man, just puts the fine point on it. He's speaking to these people who understand these stories, they understand this language, and he says, basically saying, you've heard these stories of the miracles of God all the way back into your uh, earliest days, the people of Israel. It's been told down through generations and through history and through oral history. And, and you've seen with your own eyes the works of God in the person of Jesus Christ. And, and you rejected him to such an extent that you crucified him. And yet even that could not keep the cornerstone down because the power of God instead raised him again to life. And now that same power is moving and living and active and working in us right now because this man standing here has been healed by that same power. And then Peter says, and I'm telling you, the stone that you rejected all the way back from the beginning to now is Jesus Christ. And he is the only way of salvation. I said at the beginning there were three characteristics or purposes of a cornerstone. I'll take you back to that mental image of the cornerstone on the building. And this was true even in ancient days. Oftentimes that cornerstone would, would be uh, ornamental in some ways. Uh, in more modern times, because we had other ways to build, sometimes it would even be hollowed out and filled with uh, precious items or remembrances, kind of like a time capsule within that stone on the corner. Uh, that would sometimes be true in ancient days, but more often they would inscribe on those stones uh, significance of the location or significance of the building or significance of the purpose of that stone. And that's the first characteristic of a cornerstone, is it speaks to the history of the thing that is being built. Now, the cornerstone, in, in traditional sense, is literally the first stone that is laid down. And then everything else builds off of that. It provides uh, direction for the rest of the structure. But first, history. So Jesus is the culmination of God's history with humanity up to this point in the passage of Scripture that we're talking about. And of course, how does that extend into today? Peter says here that Jesus has now, he's embodied everything that God has, has been trying to reveal to humanity. The glory of creation. Remember the stone broke down. The importance of love for your neighbor. The reward of obedience to the will of God. The beauty of sacrifice for the lost. But maybe most importantly, he reveals the unbridled love that God has for his people. He tells the history of God's pursuit to restore mankind to a loving relationship with himself from the moment of the fall, from the moment of sin. That's the history that Jesus, the cornerstone, tells. The second and the first thing I was talking about is being the first one, the keystone in the building, the building orientation. Um, in architectural sense, that cornerstone would be laid and and there would be all sorts of, of calculations given to its exact placement and, and how it lays this way and how it lays this way. The fact that it could be perfectly level to, to the earth and deal with its environment because it might be on a hill and yet we 
We don't want to build a lopsided building. Uh, it's going to be crafted in such a way to be as perfectly square uh, on its angles as it possibly can. Because I don't know if you've ever tried to build anything. You know, if you try to make something square like this, this isn't a great square. You can tell I got my hand. Try to build something. See how, see how like, this is not square, right? That goes off a little bit. Well, out to here, it's not a big deal, but the farther you go, the worse that gets. If you've ever tried to cut a long cut on like a four by eight sheet of plywood or, or rip a long like two by six or something like that, Stephen and I had a very scary encounter with a table saw earlier this week at four by eight sheet of plywood, but we made it through okay. Everybody kept all their limbs and fingers, but it was a little dicey for a moment. Mostly because we just didn't have the right equipment and the right setup to do what we wanted to do. And when we got done, this eight-foot-long sheet that we had cut was 27 and a quarter inches wide at one end and 28 inches wide at the other end. Which means that everything else we wanted to do wasn't going to work so great. <laughs> so we fixed that problem. The same thing happens with this, this cornerstone. If it's, just, if it's just a little bit off-level or a little bit out of angle, when you start to build the rest of the building, the flaw at the beginning becomes much greater once you get to the end. It's like the old uh, demonstration of shooting an arrow. You know, like shoot an arrow at a target right there. And I'm a little bit off of the center by about this much. It's not too bad, but if I move that target much further away, and I'm still off by the same amount right here, going to miss the target completely by the time my arrow gets there. Cornerstone is so important for the orientation of the building. It's the same with our lives. The life and words of Jesus underscore our way of life with God. God has called us to this life and, and the way in which we should speak to the world and live in the world, engage with the world. Do you need to know how to encourage someone else? Look to the life of Christ because his life is the cornerstone. His example is the cornerstone. How to correct someone, how to correct yourself, look to Jesus. Do you need to know how to be obedient to God's will in uncertain times? Maybe how to weep with those who are brokenhearted and grieving? Look to Jesus. Because he provides not only the history, the how and the why and the who and the what of believing in God, but he, he provides information for our day-to-day -day lives, the example for our day-to-day -day life and how to live. And then finally, that last third characteristic is celebration. So we have history, we have building orientation, we have celebration. Very often, in the endeavor to build a new building, especially something significant that we that have a cornerstone that is remarkable and, and, and has meaning to the foundation of everything that, that would be built, there would be a ceremony around laying that stone. You've seen those pictures. More often today, it's the it's the golden shovel in the dirt, you know, all the guys standing there, they're all going to turn over a shovel of dirt, and then all the actual working people are going to come and do the work. And it would be similar to that. There'd be a celebration around the day in which the cornerstone was going to be set. There would be ceremony, a party, around that day, because from that day forward, the moment the cornerstone is set, everything else can You see, until that cornerstone is in place, we can, we can pile all the other 
the building materials, the bricks and the wood and the screws and whatever else, the windows, for all of the building of this grand building that we're going to build. But if the cornerstone isn't in place to give us both the history of how to build this thing and the orientation of how the building is going to sit on the lot and which direction the walls are going to go and if it's going to be level and how it's going to be, all that stuff, that's not in place. We just have materials laying around. And when it comes into its place, there's a celebration because now, now the work can begin. And I look at the Bible and I see that there are times when Jesus is just the master of the time. There's a time when he talks about throwing a giant banquet. And uh, the master invites all his friends to come and they all blow him off. He sends out another call and they still don't have a plan to even have a personal one-on-one invitation. And then Jesus is like, pick your doors open. Go out on the side of the road, and anybody you can find, drag them in. Tell them we got food and drink and merriment in the house of the Lord. His first miracle is at the wedding of Cana, turning water into wine. We see the heart of God to celebrate when He welcomes the prodigal son home. He runs down that long dirt road, throws the bag of oil in the sink, says, "Welcome back. Let's have." see it in the story of the woman at the well. After she's come to the realization of who Jesus is and Jesus has not rebuked her or shamed her for her life. Instead, he has offered her the water of life. She goes back to her town and she begins to tell everyone the Bible says about this incredible person that she met. And his disciples returned because they'd gone out to get sandwiches back with the sandwiches and the implication of the passages that they offer him food and he's just like, man, I don't know. And they say, aren't you hungry? Like, did you, did you find some food while we were gone? And he says, my food is to do the work of my father. And I can just see Jesus sitting there in the dirt, the shade of the wall of that, that well with his head tipped back on his chest, smiling about all the things that have just happened. Basking in the pleasure the woman at the well came to know through the Messiah. We see Jesus in Scripture time after time after time celebrating the festivals of the people of Israel. Both the, the happy ones and the solemn ones. And as we talked about in the opening passage of Scripture today, he welcomed Finally, how do we know that celebration is important to the cornerstone, Jesus himself? The Bible also tells us that all of heaven rejoices when one more prodigal comes home. Jesus is the cornerstone. Now let's go back just briefly to that Matthew chapter 21, verses 33 and 34. We're going to get verse 44. said Jesus is the cornerstone. Jesus is talking to these people and says, don't you remember the story about the cornerstone? It's going to be rejected. The stone is going to be rejected, but it's going to be the cornerstone. 
linking us all the way back to Psalm 118. And the psalmist talks about the stone that was rejected being the cornerstone. And then here's that final kind of conversation about this cornerstone. Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Matthew 21, verse 24. The one who falls on the stone will be broken to pieces. But when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. The ultimate question that each one of us is left with when we consider Jesus the cornerstone. Is he going to be the cornerstone upon which we build our lives? Is he going to be the cornerstone upon which we acknowledge the history of God on which we orient our lives in the directions that he wants us to? Is it going to be the cornerstone on which we build our lives so that God can celebrate with us and we celebrate with God the work and the miraculous things that he does in our lives and just the fact, the, the miracle alone that God is with us? Or is for us the cornerstone of where we instead be a stumbling Because many, many people will hear of Jesus and they will do like we learned in the beginning of this story to reject him. And at that point, he becomes a stone over which we stumble. And those who fall upon him will not be greater than the cornerstone. Instead, they will be broken by the cornerstone. Those who try to escape the Instead, find themselves crushed by that same cornerstone. And so that is all I can leave you with this morning, is for you to answer the question in your own life. Do you see Jesus as the cornerstone? Or are you rejecting that cornerstone? Ask the worship team to come back with us, and uh, we'll sing together one more song together. As we sing this together, I'll ask you to uh, consider that final question. And if you find this morning that uh, you are rejecting the cornerstone, you can take this time right now to, as the passage from Psalm 51 said, confess your sins before the Lord and instead choose to follow Him. If you'd like to talk about that, I'm happy to chat with you. Online, simply drop me a note and we'll connect and I'll share with you about that if that makes sense. But I hope that you can sing with us these words to this song that complements the joy of
this morning with our uh, music benediction, and uh, I don't remember what key this song is in, I don't know if 
Circle. I want it to be nice and singable. All right. Normally we, we speak this uh, benediction, but we're going to say it this morning. Don't put those words up, thanks, Jeff. The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon Be gracious to